Hey everybody, welcome back to Bucketheads, episode 79 of our College Shoes podcast. My name is Connor Lamans, and I am joined by Justin Golba. And we have an interview this week. We've been talking about it for a while. We've been trying to get people to come on. Logistically, it has not worked for a while, but we finally got Kevin Sweeney to jump back onto Bucketheads. He is now a two-time guest. Uh, Kevin Sweeney is a Northwestern graduate, and he is a writer over at Sports Illustrated. So we talked to him about... Um, we kind of started it as an Ohio State interview and then we kind of uh, turned sharply away from Ohio State and talked about Purdue and Michigan State and UCLA USC all kinds of other stuff Justin yeah and shout out to Kevin Uh, it was announced a couple days ago he's going to be on the um, summer league broadcast with another friend of the pod John Fanta so if you've ever listened to those two or know anything about those two that is must-watch television because they are both incredibly insightful and incredibly, what's the word like? Enthusiastic. Enthusiastic oh, is a great word. Definitely enthusiastic. Yeah, it's a good mix because they're not both incredibly enthusiastic, but like Kevin is enthusiastic and like not even you know kind of like he doesn't show it outwardly while Fanta kind of does. So it, it, it's a good mix. It's a little bit like Joel Clatt, Gus Johnson. You know, it's kind of the way I'm viewing it. Try to think if we talked about anything else. We talked about yeah, different Big Ten teams. We talked, we did talk about Caleb Love and Michigan and what the heck's going on with Michigan and their admissions and what maybe could have happened with Caleb Love in the basically in the time period between when Caleb Love put out the graphic that he's going to Michigan and then like five weeks later when it was like Caleb Love is back in the transfer portal. Like what maybe could have transpired in those five weeks? We got into that a little bit with Kevin. Before we get into our interview, though, touch on Summer League real quick. There's not much to talk about, Justin. Uh, Malachi Branham is on the Spurs roster, but he wasn't even dressed. I don't think he's hurt, though. Um, maybe he's actually not on the roster. Maybe he's not going to play Summer League. I don't know. Uh, EJ Liddell is not going to be playing Summer League until, I believe, Friday. Justice Suing was a healthy DNP for the Thunder, which is not good for his chances of getting any kind of contract with the Thunder. And Bryce Sensabaugh was listed as unavailable due to a knee injury, which is recovery from the surgery. So really a big bag of shit there for our four Buckeyes that we want to watch play in the summer league. Yeah. Um, the the Spurs were in Sacramento for like their early, the first two summer league games. And it seems like they're not playing uh, Malachi Devin Vassell or Victor Wembanyama, I think they're all going to debut on the seventh in their first like actual summer league game in Vegas. So that's what from that's what Twitter was implying. So um, Brandon should be playing. He'll probably be starting. It'll be sick to watch him against uh, watch him you know match up with not match up but watch him play with Wembanyama. But yeah, other than that, yeah, not much to report on since not much happened. The sensible part is kind of a bummer. They did ask him. When he was drafted, like, hey, Bryce, how are you feeling? How is the knee doing? And basically, Bryce Sensabaugh said, you know, I'm feeling really good. Honestly, I'm, I'm feeling pretty close to full go. And they're like, awesome. We're really excited to see you in Summer League. Are we going to see you in Summer League? And he was like, yeah, I feel really, really good. All I can say is I'm, I'm feeling a lot better. So they were like, you know, all right, so are you saying you're going to play? And he was like, I'm saying I feel good. And then the first Summer League game 
rolls around and no, he is not playing. So I think you hit the nail on the head kind of early that he probably dropped because of the knee, not because maybe not because of what we thought was like the defensive liabilities. I'm sure that hurt him a little bit, but if he had the knee surgery in April and he still made June, it's been two months now and he's still not ready to uh, run. So that's a little bit concerning for him. Yeah. Just an update. Uh, we're recording this Wednesday before like the day before we put this out. They play tonight. He's out tonight. Um, according to the Utah jazz, he's out tonight against the Sixers. He underwent knee surgery, blah, blah, blah. He's expected to be ready for the start of the 2023, 24 season, but it's unclear whether he'll be able to suit up at any point this summer. So there's a chance we might not see him at all. Yeah. Which makes me think that the chances of, I could be wrong of him just like immediately being with the jazz to start the season are probably tough. Yeah. He is a first round pick. So that he is a first round pick and they do have a lot of room for spots. I think the Malik Beasley comparison is very real with him. So I I, I kind of expect him to actually start on the team and but we'll see. It's it, you're right. It, it's just it's tough to tell with no summer league experience if he doesn't get any. I'm excited to watch. I'm also really excited to watch. I I'll be honest, I don't know how much I'm going to watch, but hopefully you know, I'll look up the box scores later and I'll see if there's some videos online. I hope that EJ um, looks good. I hope he looks healthy. I hope he looks even better than he did before the surgery because, man, that really, really, really sucked last summer that, you know, he slides all these spots in the draft. You think he's going to be a first-round pick. He's a mid-second-round pick. So he digs his heels in, basically, and EJ Liddell says, you know, I'm going to bust my ass, basically, and prove to everybody that I'm a first-round pick and immediately just, like, tears his knee up. So I, I really hope that he finds success and is healthy and looks good and can tear it up in the summer league and hopefully jumps, you know, jumps right to the, to the Pelicans this season. I hope he gets with the big team. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it seems like just from Twitter and stuff, fans are excited to see EJ Liddell. So it's cool that they're at least like he's on their radar, someone that can be a contributor to the team, which is always nice. All right, we'll go ahead and get into our interview here with uh, Kevin Swing. Like we said, we talked about the Ohio State, the Big Ten, did a little UCLA, USC joining the Big Ten, little Caleb Love, Michigan stuff. Um, so without further ado, here is our interview with Mr. Kevin Sweeney. All right, we are joined now by a two-time guest here on Bucketheads, Mr. Kevin Sweeney from Sports Illustrated as well as the Field of 68. He has to work with Jed, Jeff Goodman regularly. so. God bless him. Um, he was one of our first guests two years ago for episode five and has so graciously joined us again. So thanks for taking the time today, Kevin. Appreciate you having me, guys. Yeah, so Kevin, we'll start off here with, um, you know, obviously we are a Ohio State podcast, so we'll start with some Ohio State stuff, then we'll get kind of into a little bit of Big Ten stuff. Ohio State has kind of shown that they're going to really use recruiting as their backbone, but also bring in some transfers. They brought in Jameson Battle this year, as well as Dale Bonner and Evan Mahaffey. Just kind of with those three guys, what are your thoughts on them? Obviously, Battle's the big name, but you know Bonner and Mahaffey plugged some holes. I think they had last year. Just kind of what were your what are your thoughts on those three guys and kind of what they might bring to Columbus? Yeah, I think all, all three of them are, are are Big Ten caliber players. Obviously, Mahaffey and uh, and Battle have experience in the league and have been, you know, useful rotation players in some form or fashion. And then obviously Bonner coming from, 
from Baylor, a program that's produced so many good guards. And he was, you know, productive this past year. I know he struggled this first year, but had a, had a, had a really nice, a really nice season for Scott Drew. Um, you know, I, I like it in the sense that I, I think Ohio State got deeper um, and got more athletic, but didn't auction the future, right? Like, I think there's this natural spring, especially after the year that they had of like, all right, like, let's go out and let's fill, like, let's flip the roster in the portal and go get, you know, five, six guys who can play right away and, you know, plug in and start. I, I, I don't think they went out and did that. I think they kind of saw the need at the, at the three or the four. They needed to add some shooting. Uh, they needed to add, you know, a veteran who could handle the ball. Uh, and they needed to get a little bit more athletic. And I think they were able to do those things without um, doing anything that would jeopardize or, or, or question, like, where this team's nucleus is, which is still in my mind, you know, guys like Bruce Thornton and Roddy Gale in the backcourt. Yeah, you just you said something I love because it's a common, I think, discourse between Ohio State fans that I've noticed. Um, you said they, they got better without auctioning the future. And that's the biggest thing because when you see a guy like Caleb Love, and we'll talk about him a little bit later, but when you see a guy like Caleb Love hit the portal, initial thoughts are, yes, Caleb Love will probably make your team better. Maybe not, but maybe make your team better. But at the same time, if you are trying to build behind Bruce Thornton and Roddy Gale, and you bring in a Caleb Love, could you force maybe like a Roddy Gale out the door who has, I think, I think his upside is like sky high. I really think Roddy Gale can be an all big 10 kind of player. What are kind of your thoughts on using the transfer portal? And like, do you like kind of when teams use it to plug holes or are you kind of a, an Arkansas, let's go get every single person that's in the transfer portal and just kind of see how it, how it goes. Yeah. I think, you know, Roster building is a lot more year to year, right? Because as you said, it's great to say, oh, Roddy Gale has a lead upside and Bruce Orton's really good. But like, you know, there's a real chance that if Roddy Gale has the year that Ohio State hopes he has, he's the next one to the NBA, right? Like that's the that's the reality of this. It's not like, True. oh, you know, yes. we, we keep him and we, we have him for three years guaranteed. Um, but I, I, I do think there is something to be said. Like, I, I think a roster that is entirely transfers almost always is going to have capped upside because players in the transfer portal are good, but like the amount of like super high level players that are in the transfer portal, like is, is pretty slim, right? Like if Roddy Gale, will again, use this as the example was in the portal this spring, he would have been like a consensus top 50 transfer that everybody wanted. It was this, you know, great recruit who had a great finish down the stretch at a big 10 program. Like everybody would have wanted him and he would have been hyped up as the next coming. And I think there's something to be said for like, we don't need to replace guys with like, like, like w- would there be more, there might be more excitement right now at the two guard spot. If you bring in a transfer over him, but if you think about Roddy Gill as a transfer, he probably would have been more hyped than the guy you're bringing in. I, I guess the way I would frame it. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Um, if we move on next to, to the NBA draft that was just last week, um, talking about some players who, maybe went a little higher than you thought they would. Maybe you thought that some of those picks weren't the best if, if they took a guy that you thought maybe they could get later. And also some guys, um, you want to name a guy or two that you think slid deeper into the draft that you thought would go higher. So maybe like a, a you know, maybe a late first round steal. Yeah. I mean, I think from like a, obviously I think there's been a lot of conversation about the Whitmore thing. Um, he's his talent obviously far exceeds what he, where he was drafted. That being said, like, there tends to be a reason, right? Like, like NBA teams know more than we all do on draft night. And, yes, do they overthink it and make mistakes? Yes. It's, you know, it's draft, drafting is not an exact science. But there is a reason that everybody passed on him for 19 picks, 
right? Like U- Utah had two selections that all the all the prep they possibly could have at nine and at nine for the potential he'd be there. He's in there again at sixteen, and they still don't bite the bullet and draft him. Like that tells me that there was like legitimate concerns, whether it was medicals or his interviews. Like, people were very turned off by by the Whitmore thing. I still think the upside is 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 really really high, um, but I think there's. I think there's more to it than I think the natural conversation has been about the, the Whitmore saga. I, I think a few guys who also fell that I like are, you know, I really like Trace Jackson Davis at 57 of the Warriors. I think he could do a lot of Kavon Looney type things long-term with his energy and athleticism and passing ability. Um, you know, I thought that, you know, in the back half of the first round, guys like Noah Clowney have a chance to be really good from Alabama and maybe some reaches like, I thought Jet Howard was was too aggressive at eleven for Orlando. I, I, I understand what they were going for, but I would rather take Grady Dick or or Jordan Hawkins, preferably in my mind Grady Dick, just from a standpoint of I think he's I think he's a little bit more complete a player. But you know that one that one stood out, and then I felt like in the late teens and early twenties there was a few a few reaches where teams were looking more for immediate impact rather than long-term value. Everyone kind of following the Nuggets, the Nuggets mold. And I think the Nuggets actually did this with like Jalen Pickett and Julian Strother and Hunter Tyson, like all those guys. Like I, I love Jalen Pickett to death, but like taking him at 32 is wild to me. Like that's yeah. Was, was Hunter Tyson even like in mock drafts? Not really. I mean, he actually had a really good daily camp uh, and then made it up to the combine. He's big and can make shots. I actually liked the Hunter Tyson pick the most of the three, but like, again, relative to slot, it was kind of bizarre. I understand where the nuggets are. They're trying to find young, affordable uh, contracts that they can plug into the rotation. So they drafted three, three old guys. I think Tyson and Pickett were fifth year seniors and then Strother played three years at Gonzaga. But uh, I, I felt like maybe they gave up a little on the value front in order to, to, to get that experience. And since, you know, we are an Ohio State-focused podcast, and we did spend most of our time last week talking about, about Bryce Sensabaugh, about, you know, kind of the, could he have come back for a second year? Should he have come back for a second year? And the range of where he could have gone, based on all of the different websites and the writers, was basically anywhere from 14 or 15 all the way back to, like, pick 40. I think going in the first round period, you would look and say, no, it's not a mistake to leave after one year if you're a first-round pick, which he was. But there are some, in my opinion, and I'm Justin agrees with this, and we've talked about it all season. There were some serious red flags with him during the season. Um, there's a, there's a reason that Ohio State's defense ticked up a, a hell of a lot at the very end of the season when he was on the bench. Um, if he struggled so badly defensively in college, how do you see him sticking on the floor in the NBA if he struggled that much defensively at the college level? Yeah, I mean, first off, on like the decision to stay or go, you know, I, I think there's something to be said. Like he could have been like close to an All American this year. I think if he had come back, and in this draft, maybe that propels him into a you know the back half of the lottery next year. Given that it's supposed to be at this point a weaker 2024 draft class, obviously things can change. But I think the feeling around the league is that it's it's not the strongest group. Um, but when you can be a first round pick, and when there's like a well, especially when like many of the concerns with Bryce were like, he's small, his body's weird, things like that. Like those weren't going to change. Like Bryce Sensible wasn't going to come back next year and all of a sudden be 
like a skinny shooting guard. Like he's always going to have this frame. He's always going to be on the pudgier side. His body will always need a little bit of work, but like what he's, what he, what he did at Ohio state proved like he can really, really score and then really make, you know, you know, make shots in, in a variety of ways. And I think that made him valuable enough to be worth the first round pick. Um, as far as the defense thing, like, I think that's probably a big reason why he dropped. I think this, you know, the, the, the body as well is another reason why he fell. And, and also some lingering concerns about that, that knee injury. Um, I think teams were a little bit reticent there. Um, yeah. I mean, I think he's going to have to be an offensive wizard to, to belong on the floor. Um, but at the same time, like I, I think he has the chance to be that. I think he's that good of an offensive player. His touch is elite, his you know ability to make, I, I think he'll, I think he's a better like pure shooter than people realize because people think of him as a scorer. Like I think in the NBA, he's a real chance to be like a knockdown three point shooter. As you said, though, the question is like, will he be giving up more than he's putting up? If if, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you know, while Sensible was a a very hot topic for Iowa State fans, the hottest topic for Iowa State fans, pretty much since the Oral Roberts loss to now, has been Chris Holman and kind of where fans stand on the head coach. A lot of people are in support. A lot of people don't think he deserves to be the coach. Um, where do you, it's always nice to get like a non-Ohio State fan perspective. Where do you kind of stand on Chris Holtman as as the head man at Ohio State? We've always said you got to give him at least time for these recruiting classes to see what they can become and then maybe evaluate. Uh, but where, where do you kind of stand on that? Yeah, look, I, I think last year was unacceptable, right? It, it's too good a job to be as bad as they were. Um, I give him credit for kind of getting some buy-in from these guys late in the year, especially guys who are going to come back. And I also give him credit, like none of these guys moved, right? And after a season like that, there were some really talented young players who could have tested the yeah. waters portal wise and didn't. Um, so I, I think, I think the buy-in still there from, from players. Um, I think from like a recruiting strategy standpoint, like I would make the generally, I would generally make the same moves Chris Holtman makes as, if I was a head coach at Ohio State, how I would say tomorrow, like if, if you give me the job, I would say I want to recruit the best non one and done prospects with the chance that yes, you're going to lose one or two early every year because you know you your your evaluation is really good. Um, I would you know backfill with the portal where appropriate and, and fill in you know fill some holes. Yeah, like they made some mistakes last year; they didn't have enough shooting, um, but that was I think probably a you know variety of factors that um, and not just like a head coaching gap. So look. Results are results. He can't run from what he did last year. He can't run from the lack of NCAA tournament success. He can't run from the fact that if he misses the NCAA tournament again this year, it's going to be really, really hard to justify why he's still the head coach at Ohio State. But I still personally believe that Chris Holtman is a good enough coach to bring this program where it belongs, or at least where it should realistically be expected to belong. And that was going to be my follow-up on that. You kind of answered it in a way, was – Without sounding true dramatic, too doomsday, that kind of thing, um, trying to take our scarlet and gray glasses off, what do you think Ohio State needs to accomplish this year? Like, what is the bare minimum for them to finish the year and say, this is a successful year, and there is no concern that Chris Holtman might get chopped? I, I know you said that they need to make the tournament. A lot of fans would tell you, if he doesn't make a Sweet 16 or an Elite 8 or blah, 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 then that's it. He's done. Me and Justin, I think, are on the same page where if they make the tournament, maybe win a game, he probably avoids you know, the worst possible scenario. But I do think moving into this year, there is a scenario where if things turn south, this, that could be his last season. Yeah, I, 
I would personally be pretty surprised based on his contract and, and based on him from, from what I have gathered, at least having like pretty solid kind of institutional support. Like I'd be pretty surprised if I'd actually be shocked if he was fired for anything where he makes the NCAA tournament. Right. Um, like you said, I, I get the Ohio State fan perspective. And I also like realize that like the heat's not going to cool on Holtman until he makes a second weekend or two. Right. Like at the end of the day, even if, oh, he doesn't get fired this year. If he makes the tournament, doesn't win a game, people are going to start talking about, oh, he's on the hot seat next year, right? The, the cycle will continue. People will continue to say, why doesn't Holtman go get X open job this offseason, right? Like the next up will be, oh, why doesn't he take West Virginia next spring? Why doesn't he take X? Why doesn't he take Y, right? Like that's that's how it's going to be for as long as it is until he makes it makes a run. But I would personally be very surprised if he's actually on a hot seat in March, should they make the NCAA tournament? I think yes. If he misses the tournament again, it's going to be it's going to be hard. I don't I don't even I don't even know it's a guarantee that he gets fired, but it's going to be hard. If if he's in the tournament, I, I'd be very surprised if the decision comes from Ohio State that Chris Holtman's no longer the head coach next year. And then moving away from the Buckeyes for a little bit, this is a little different question that I wanted to ask because I think that you have a different perspective than us. You are more connected with people more across the country than we are. I wanted to ask you about the neutral site contracts versus home and homes. Cause in the last several years um, we have seen a lot of big programs that will schedule a neutral site one year, you know, with another team, I think Kentucky and Gonzaga are, I think they're playing this year, but it's not going to be at the kennel. I think it's somewhere in the state of Washington, but not at the kennel. And then other programs will do the home and homes, but I'm seeing a lot more of the neutral site. So from a coach's perspective, can you kind of explain why, we're seeing more and more of that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few few answers to that. One is that I think it's just easier to get all parties involved, all parties involved to agree, right? Like, I know, I think West Virginia and Ohio State are supposed to play in Cleveland this year. Like, that's just a natural thing where, like, both, both fan bases are accessible. There's money involved for both parties. It doesn't have to be home and home. It doesn't have to be like you're taking a really young team or a new team into a, a raucous environment. Um, and there's also some like, you know, there's some quadrant game implications. If it's a neutral game, it's top 50 is Q1. If it's a, uh, if it's a home game, it's only top 30 is Q1. So there's like a little bit of resume. There's a little bit of, I think teams being afraid to play true road games. There's a little bit of money involved. There's a little bit of NIL actually involved. Um, you know, essentially now these, they, they, these events write guarantee checks to the schools for playing in them usually. Um, and now those checks have in some cases been redistributed as NIL money. So basically the school is telling the, tell, the school in negotiations with the third party event company, uh, which there are several, um, will say, Hey, like, you know, we don't need a guarantee. Like, why don't you, why don't you pay our players to promote the game, which they're allowed to do. Um, that also works in like the MTE world, like the, the new non, non-conference tournaments, like a Maui Invitational, something like that. Um, so there's, that, I would say those are a few of the reasons. Um, I know it's frustrating for fans, right? Fans want to play real high-level games at home, right? If you're a season ticket holder, you're spending a lot of your hard-earned money on like being able to go see Ohio State play. You don't want to watch Ohio State play, you know, St. Francis, Pennsylvania. You want to see them play you know, West Virginia on your home, on their home floor. Uh, but 
I, I think I don't I don't think that trend is going anywhere because there's there seems to be a lot of upside in it for for programs outside of the fans. I think the coaches seem to like these neutral side games. And so this is another little bit of a uh, transition, but just out of curiosity, because, you know, you tend to know more about these kinds of things than even we do or anybody like that. And this was such a fascinating thing to follow because it happened last year as well. What kind of transpired between Caleb Love and the University of Michigan between April 7th when he committed and May 19th when he decommitted? Like, how did, like, those ac- the academic part of it or the transcripts, what, like, nobody looks as, tr- whatever the case may be, how does that kind of happen after he, com- like, announces he's going to Michigan and that late after? What is kind of the, it just seems like everybody messed up, but I don't know if you have a different take on it. Yeah, I, I don't have, like, true insight into, like, the, you know, nitty-gritty of the situation. Um, I would say this, there was a clear kind of difference this year um, in how it was handled versus what happened last year with Terrence Shannon, where mm-hmm. they were involved with TJ. You know, they felt like they had a good chance to get him. The transcripts came back, and it was like, you have to graduate. And he wasn't going to be able to graduate from Texas Tech. So he, you know, op- he opened up. With Caleb, I guess it was a little bit different. Um I'm wondering if maybe there were some grades in terms of passing or failing classes this spring that had to be finalized for him to know whether he'd be able to, for for for, for Michigan to give a, a solid answer one way or another. Because you're 100 percent right. Like this thing dragging out till mid-May was you know catastrophic for Michigan's roster. Right? It'd be one thing if Michigan had lost Caleb Love on you know April April 15th. Right? They take him on April 7th. On April 15th, it doesn't happen. That would be like a okay, all right, let's go get the next one. Uh, and, and unfortunately, because of how late it was, it's made it much harder. Obviously, they got Olivier Kamua, who's a good player. They're still kind of in the periphery for some of these bigger names that are still left on the board. But you know, it's it certainly changed their season, and I, it's hard to blame one person. Right? I think part of it is on on Juwan. Right? This is not new. They've they also dealt with this with No Gel Eastern back in the day. Like this is mm-hmm. he has consistently taken these kids who've played three plus years without graduating, and that's. Playing with fire clearly at Michigan. It's partially it's on admissions. It's partially on like communication with the athletic department. Like it's it's on everyone. Um, but regardless, it's a you know it's something that's had a pretty substantial negative impact on on Michigan's chances for next season. I mean, and what I was told about Michigan because me and Justin probably spent you know honestly we've spent an, a comically high amount of time talking about the Michigan offseason on this just because it it's the content that just never stops giving, but. What I was heard was told about Michigan is that basically if you they, they don't want to give a Michigan diploma to somebody that, you know, went to school for three or four years somewhere else, then goes to Michigan and, and, and just is there for one year, then you get your Michigan degree. So it sounds like for football and basketball, it's harder for them to get transfers who are older. It's basically really young athletes or grad transfers. But the part that caught me and Justin up was Caleb Love commits on April 7th. And it takes a month and a half before, you know, Caleb Love, well, at least on Twitter, he said he was going to Michigan. I don't know if Michigan told him to do that or not, but he did that. And then in May, it's like, oh, I'm not. So I guess in the middle of that month and a half, what just confused the hell out of us was how a transcript was never looked at, how it was never like, hey, Caleb, you're academically a senior. It's not going to work here. And we're wondering if maybe Caleb Love jumped the gun. I don't know. Caleb, I'm sure, probably maybe shares a little bit of the blame. I, I think at the end of the day, it, it falls on on the head coach, um, and it falls on like you have to figure it out. Like you're you're in charge of all facets of the program. That's that's in the right. job description. Um, 
as for like the, the deployment thing, like, yeah, like that's, that is a bit of a hurdle, but like, to be clear, like that's not like a super, super rare thing. Michigan is not Northwestern. Michigan is certainly not Stanford. Like, like Michigan, like North Northwestern can take freshmen and grad transfers. That's it. Or fresh or freshman transfers. So guys after one year of school and grad transfers, that's it. That's across all sports. I believe, um, you know, Michigan at least can take sophomores. You know, they, they, they basically have one year that they can't take. They can't take guys who've been in school for three years and not graduate. Like Stan, Stan, I, I spoke to a Stanford assistant coach uh, the other day. Did you know there's there's two players in the entire Pac-12 who aren't at Stanford who would have gotten into Stanford? <laughs> who are they? <laughs> I don't know the answer to that question. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, like, 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 that's hard academics. That's, yeah, that's, that's tough. Working with one hand tied behind your back. Like, <laughs> yeah, Michigan man. has a small inconvenience. <clears throat> and I, yeah. I think I, I think that needs to be kind of hammered home. Like, this, this is this should not be the end of the world. Michigan. There are plenty of players that Michigan can recruit. The fact that they didn't recruit those and chose to recruit Caleb Love, I think, is on them. I, I, I want to make a meme. I don't know how to make memes, but I want to make a meme of, like, Michigan athletics. You can't have this one player and Juwan Howard. I want that one player because it seems like this just keeps happening, which is kind of funny. And that kind of transitions me just into my question about what are your views on Juwan Howard? I think it's kind of interesting when you watch, like, you just watch the NBA draft and they just had – two guys go in the top 15 plus a transfer go to Kansas and Hunter Dickinson, and they didn't make the tournament. Obviously this year, I would not look at this team as a tournament team. Maybe somebody will surprise us. I like Terrace Reed, but I don't, you know, Doug McDaniel's good. I don't know if this is a tournament team though. If he missed the tournament again or whatever the case may be, just kind of where do you sit on Juwan Howard and kind of where he is at Michigan right now? It seems like their fan base kind of feels like him, how high state fans feel about Chris Holtman. Yeah. Like I, I think people are probably a little bit too down on Juwan, given we're not that far removed from him being kind of on top of the world. And he's still a good recruiter, and he's still, um, I, I think, really connects with players. I, I think there are stuff he needs to do. Like, like there, it is no secret that they've gotten worse every year now that they've lost beeline players. It is no secret that this team missing the NCAA tournament was a calamity. It's no secret that, like, They've lost now 31 games in the last two years. Like that sweet 16 in 2022 that was, you know, required one comeback win and one horrible Tennessee shooting performance. Like the narrative is very different if, if things go a little bit different in, in that yeah. in that NCAA tournament. So I, I think he can still do the job at Michigan. But I think he needs to I think he needs to recenter himself. I think he needs to realize kind of the place where like where he is. I think Michigan needs to do a better job of supporting him in NIL, and it seems like they're starting to, um, based on the Kamawa situation, although not entirely. It seems like that was it seems like Mr. Mr. Kamawa may have taken a pay cut to, to make that happen. Um, so yeah, I mean we'll we'll see. Um, I love college athletics right now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's banana land. Don't get me started. Um, but yeah, like we'll see. I, I, it's a big year. I, I think. I think Michigan has to show that they're competitive this year, right? Like you can't. You can't bottom out. Like you can't be thirteen and eighteen. If you, if you go seventeen and fourteen, you miss the NCAA tournament. That's fine, right? That's not fire Juwan, in my opinion. That's like give it another year. Now it's a big year. If they go thirteen and eighteen, it might get ugly. Kevin, with um, with the bonus year that so many guys got because of the season that was so thrown out of whack with, with COVID and no fans and all that. And I do think that was the right decision to give them all that extra year because that was nowhere close to what college basketball, the experience of playing college basketball is like, and they all deserve that. But I think that it's thrown 
everything for a loop. I think the transfer portal is is the transfer portal combined with the extra COVID year has made things crazy. Do you think that when those guys that had the extra year because of COVID, once they phase out, whether they go to the league or they graduate, do you think the transfer portal is going to be a little bit easier to keep track of? And also, do you think those old guys, those 24, 25 year olds still being in college hoops in some spots, do you think that contributed to the last couple of NCAA tournaments being a little more wacky? Yeah, I think so. Um, and to answer your second question, yes, I believe 100% teams being older versus younger teams has, has made a huge impact. Um, I think, honestly, if I were a, um, if I were in the NCAA office, one of the things I would be at least really considering would be why don't we give everyone five years of eligibility? I don't, I, I don't see how this has been a bad thing. Guys are still graduating. More guys are getting their masters. I, I, I don't see why instead of five to play four, we don't just say five to play five. Uh, and if you know, people don't want to redshirt anymore. If you redshirt, I guess it would, you know, maybe, maybe there needs to be some, some built in things for injuries and whatnot, but like, let's, let's get rid of healthy redshirts. Let's give everyone five years to play, play, play college sports. And if, if they play all five years, it's great. I, 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 I would be really open to that. I think it's worth, worth really exploring. Um, as far as the, the other part of that question, I don't think people are totally prepared, assuming that there is no like massive rule change where we all of a sudden give everyone five years of eligibility, which well, I think is a good idea. I'm not sure it's like imminent by any means. Um, I don't think people are prepared for like the apocalypse that's coming in the transfer portal. And I know that sounds like completely like you know ridiculous, but the, there's already not enough good players in the transfer portal to go around. There is a reason that this spring you've seen a lot more kind of quote, guys I would deem failed experiments at their previous destinations, staying at the high major level, right? It used to be that like, okay, a guy who didn't produce at a high major transferred down to a mid-major. Now they just cycle to another high major because the high major is only the bodies. Okay, so what happens when 20% of the guys in the portal vanish and all those guys happen to be 23 and 24-year-olds who were one, very low risk because they all had one year of eligibility left, um, you could get this scholarship back in a year. But two, um, oftentimes like really good players because they're not transferring because something bad happened or whatever. They're transferring because they're graduating. They're giving one more shot. All of a sudden, teams have been able to get away from not being elite at scouting, right? Scouting used to be the like be-all, end-all of being a really good college basketball program, especially outside of the highest level. It's like how good do you evaluate in recruiting? And you kind of been able to get away from that because you could just like, punt on high school kids or like take high school kids that suck, run them off and then take guys who are proven division one players. That's gone in 18 months time. Once next year's portal comes and goes, that's cooked. And when that's cooked, I don't think people are prepared for how that's going to change college basketball and how that's going to impact how coaches have to build teams again. So talk about talking about building teams. Purdue has always built an interesting team because they've always built it around a tree in the middle. And Zach Eady's very good, but I think a lot of people have had questions about Purdue in the NCAA tournament. And I mean, over the past three, you know, four years, they've lost North Texas and St. Peter's and then the Fairleigh Dickinson debacle happened this year. What did you see about this Purdue team that, you know, kind of made them so vulnerable against Fairleigh Dickinson, but so dominant in the regular season? Do you think that game was an anomaly? Is it just simply because they had two freshman guards? Like what, what did you kind of see from this team that kind of made the Fairleigh Dickinson thing happen? I mean, it was absolutely an anomaly, right? Like, I mean, it was it was the the greatest upset in the history of college sports, arguably, right? Um, 
that. Like it was, it was, it was ridiculous that it happened. Um, Fun to watch. <laughs> does no, no, of course that doesn't mean that Purdue didn't have structural flaws, right? And and there's there's a few truths here, right? Like number one, Purdue had structural roster flaws in that their their guards were young and unathletic for the most part. Their shooters were inconsistent. Um, those those things made it hard, and they drew a matchup against a team that had the ability to exploit those weaknesses. They also weren't playing their best basketball coming in coming into March. Yes, they won the Big Ten tournament, but that was because the the path was pretty pretty you know pretty paved for them. They didn't have a hard schedule. I know that's I guess kind of like a half dig at Ohio State because they played them in the semifinal, but like you know Ohio State was not as good a team as some of the teams they could have played in the top top of the Big Ten for for a semifinal. And then they played Penn yeah, State. A semifinal game against a five and fifteen team is pretty 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 good to look exactly. at. Right. <laughs> Unfortunately, like, you know they were not playing well in February. It was pretty obvious to everyone. So yeah, like. I don't know that it's like, oh man, Matt Painter has to like completely rip to shreds everything he's done as a coach. But I, I do think that there were some like modernizations and things he needs to do to to make sure this doesn't happen again. Um, I will say, like, I, I thought his mentality, if you heard him in interviews in the offseason, was like pretty aggressive. Like right after it happened and like the, the days after it was like, yeah, well, what we need to do is we need to we need to get more athletic. Like like it, it sounded like he had kind of seen the light. But the way they've actually moved this offseason has not been overly aggressive. Like they took Lance Jones from Southern Illinois, he's a good player. He's a you know combo guard. He's is he better than David Jenkins though? Like I'm not convinced he actually is. And then they added Miles Colvin, who's obviously a really good recruit. I think will help them. But he comes in and replaces Brandon Newman, who was like their most athletic defender. And I know I know he disappointed. He wasn't as good as I think people hoped he would be out of high school. But like you know. The hope that the goal that Miles Colvin comes in and immediately is like Braden Smith, Flusher Loyal level good is maybe unrealistic to hope for. So, you know, I I don't know that Purdue has addressed these things as acutely as I would have. That said, they still have Zach Eady. They still have two outstanding young guards who, you know, for for all the, you know, hate that they got down the stretch, we're still like, like on paper should be some of the best guards in the country next year. Um and that makes them a, a real threat to be a, a one seed again, to be a you know a national contender. I, I, I'm old enough to remember when Tony Bennett couldn't win the yeah. national championship because he played the pack line, right? Like it's to me, to me that's that's a bit overblown. Now again, if if they lose again in March and it's partially because of athleticism, sure, that that's going to be continue to be a talking point, no question. But I don't uh, I I don't think that like Purdue needed some sort of like full scale teardown because of like one of the most historically wild upsets in the history of the sport. I have a quick follow-up before Connor gets into our next uh, next question. Gun to your head, because this was a this was a topic when they played. So gun to your head, you get three years of the of, of the of one of these two players who you taken, Braden Smith or Bruce Thornton. Answer carefully. I actually I oh jeez. <laughs> you can answer honestly. Please answer. No, no, I so so my initial thought was absolutely Bruce. And then I realized, like, all right, like, Braden Smith was, like, the starting point guard on a one seed last year. Yeah. And that's two years left. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> but, um, I think I would probably still take Bruce, but I would take Bruce for Ohio State and Braden for Purdue. Like, I, mm. I think stylistically, I like, if it, I know that's, that's very political of me. But, um, <laughs> hey, sometimes that's the best answer. <laughs> yeah, I think that's my take. Kevin, just, Justin and I have actually, not just on the, the podcast, but we've, collaborated in an article where we, we basically every week we debate something a few weeks ago we debated um who's gonna win the big 10 this year and i don't think that you know justin did this just to be a heel sometimes we have to if we agree on the answer and one of us has to 
go the opposite way. But I don't think he did that to be a heel. Justin picked Michigan State to win the Big Ten this year. I went with Purdue. I firmly believe this. I firmly you can see that's what I'm saying. I don't think he picked this just to be like devil's advocate. I looked at it as they won the Big Ten by, what, two or three games last year, and they bring Edie back. They basically bring the whole same cast back. Justin basically thinks that the Michigan State guards are going to improve enough that they will be better than Jay Nakin specifically. Jay Nakin specifically. Unless, unless there's a third team that you think could rise up and surpass both of those teams – do you think Michigan State could be a better team than Purdue this year? And if so, why? Um, I, I do think it's a two-team race. Do I think they could be better? Yeah, I think there's a world where Michigan State could be better than Purdue. Justin World. Yeah, I'm not totally convinced. I, I, I would still take Purdue for, for what it's worth. I, I think the sales pitch with Michigan State is like their depth really killed them last year, and now they're, they're much deeper. Um, their athleticism is back where it needs to be. I think for the last couple of years, like talent wise, Michigan state just hasn't had like final four type talent. And I think they're much yeah. closer, much closer to that. Um, than, than they, they have been. That being said, I would take Purdue. First of all, I think Xavier Booker is nowhere near ready to play at the high level, at a, at a super high level. Like I think you'll, there will be moments with Xavier Booker. But I've seen Xavier Booker on the AAU circuit last summer, and I saw him um, at a high school game this January. And, like, the potential far exceeds the production at this point. And I'm not – like, the first time he goes against Zach Eady is the first time that Zach Eady takes his lunch money, right? Like, that's 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 how it's going to be. And they're going to have to play Sissoko, and they're going to play Cole, or they're going to cycle through all these bigs. They have bodies to throw, it, to throw at Zach, and, you know, Izzo will be prepared. But, like, I just think kind of head-to-head, I think I like Purdue a little bit more – there, there is a, the, again the the guards thing is is real, but I'm still so down on Hogard. But kind of at the same time acknowledge that Michigan State's going to give Hogard the ball still for 28 30 minutes a game, uh, and then I think that that probably caps the upside enough that'll take the the Boilermakers to win the league. I did see somebody on Twitter. I don't think it was I don't think it was Justin. I, it was somebody else. Justin doesn't even <laughs> Justin doesn't use Twitter anymore. But somebody did say a while back that watching Hogard in the tournament like you're looking at what Bruce Thornton could become. And I was like, is that an insult or is that a threat? Yeah, that's, a, that's an insult to me. <laughs> I think he's a good player, but I think that Bruce Thornton potentially, like, I think that the ceiling is, if you want to get the best out of Bruce Thornton, I think that you hope that he would far exceed what A.J. Hogarth's done. Good A.J. is really good. But, like, I honestly, like, I, I think Bruce might be better today than, like, the like everyday A.J. you get. Like there was yeah, I, like he had some like he had some real moments and like his fieriness like he like Izzo loves him because like he'll go back and forth with Izzo like he's willing like he's like Izzo always has that one guy on the team that he can just like he can like bark at for like an hour and a half and he'll be like yeah like after you too and I think that's kind of the always like the new Aaron Henry yeah agreed <laughs> <laughs> well, oh boy that, that that's a rabbit hole um do you at least agree with me on Jaden Akins that he is fantastic yeah, I mean he's a really good player, really talented. I, mean, I don't know that I don't I don't want to put this on him, but I think there's kind of this there there might be kind of a similar kind of Kobe Buffkin trajectory here. I know he's a year older, but the the, the hype train was through the roof last year, and I don't think it was necessarily ever met. But you know, give it another year, and all of a sudden it it just breaks through. I think there's there's a chance of that. Yeah, I think the the upside is really really high. So a, a, a hard U-turn or hard 90 degrees here. Um, UCLA and USC are joining the Big Ten. 
Bronny's coming to the Big Ten. Maybe not, because I don't know how long he's going to be at USC, but nevertheless. Uh, like, is that good? Is that bad? What are some impacts that people might not realize? Will Maryland fly to UCLA? How does this all work? Um, yeah, it's going to be messy. Um, I know we have, like, football schedules already on display, and it's – Interesting. Know, yeah, it's it's interesting as it is, and it's going to be much harder in basketball where you're playing twice a week and, and whatnot. I, I think – like the basketball, like the basketball teams that are being added are good for the league, and I think um, the coaches in Enfield and Cronin are good for the league. Um, the travel is going to be a pain in the ass. Like, there's no question about that. I'm not trying. You know, I, I don't think anyone's going to try to pretend though it's going to be easy. But like, it's going to be once a year. I mean, it's going to be harder for them. Like, you know, UCLA having to hop on a four hour flight to play Northwestern on a Tuesday night and then head home, or you know, hopefully, I think they'll be creative, right? Like, they're going to do stuff. They're 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 probably going to make sure that when UCLA comes to the Midwest, they play two games and they come, then they're home and they play two games and they go out and play two. Right? It's going to be okay. We play Maryland Rutgers on a Tuesday or a Thursday and Saturday. And we go back and we play, you know, Friday, Sunday against uh, at, at home against Purdue and Wisconsin. Right. I think that, I think that's how it's going to wind up working um, where whenever you go West, you're going to play two games. Whenever they come East, they're going to play two games. But yeah, I mean, to say it's going to be convenient is, is probably just, you know, that, that's a corporate talking point more than anything else. I actually said something that spot that spawned a thought in my head and has nothing to do with anything we're going to talk about for the rest of this podcast, probably ever. But I said it, and I'm curious just to get your thoughts on it. What do you think of Bronny James to, use, to USC? I guess it kind of relates to Ohio State, but, like, you know, they got Isaiah Collier coming in. You've got um, Boogie Ellis already still there. What were your thoughts on that? I'm just curious. Um. I, look, I, I actually think it's a good basketball situation for Bronny um, because I think it's allow, it allows him to do some of the stuff he does well, which is defend, make threes, you know, have, be a high field guy, be a connector without being put in a position where, all right, the ball's in his hands 24-7 and, like, here's, here's his responsibilities, right? Because I think that would have – I think he would have scored more if he did that, but I don't think that would have been good for his development. And I, and I also don't think it would have been – like, it would have been fair to him. As a, as a player, like I think, like we, we live in a world where less than fifty percent of top twenty-five recruits average double digits as freshmen. Like, like people are going to come in and expect absurd things because it's Bronny. But like, if Bronny James averages, you know, seven point eight points, three rebounds, and two assists on thirty-eight percent from three, playing twenty minutes a game on a you know top two team in the Pac-12, that's like an outstanding freshman year. That's a really productive freshman season that might make him a one and done. And I, and I think if if you pulled like the average Joe, like the person who has no no knowledge of the situation, and they're like, yeah, Bronny averaged seven points a game, they'd be like, yeah, this kid's a fraud, this kid sucks, this is stupid, whatever. Like, that's, <laughs> that's that's not that's not reality. Like 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 you can look through like 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 I don't think Noah Clowney averaged ten points a game. He's a first round pick this year. I mean, there, there's guys every year. Derek Whitehead averaged like seven points a game at Duke. First round pick. Like this is this is how it works. Um, and so I think I, I think it's going to be a good situation. I think as long as there's not too much kind of overreach from the James family, from Clutch, whatever, in terms of expectations, like, oh, he has to start, oh, he has to have the ball in his hands, whatever. Like, he should not be playing with the ball in his hands over Isaiah Collier. He probably shouldn't be playing with the ball in his hands over Boogie Ellis. But he's he's good enough to be a rotation player next year. And I think that's that's a valuable thing. A lot of teams could use a Brian James right now. 
Yeah, shout out to Derek Whitehead for having such good high school tape that he still went first round of the draft. That's sick. Um, so just moving into Ohio State, they have a huge. They have another great freshman class coming in. We talked to Scotty Milton on this pod about a year ago, and he told us he'd beat Grady Dick one hundred and one. And ever since then, we've been, been pretty much in love with them because um, you know they played on high school together. Uh, I, I was listening to Boilers in the stands a couple uh, about a day like yesterday. They said they think Taysen Chapman could be you know, rookie of the year in the or freshman of the year in the Big Ten. You know, Devin Royal is going to play a role early, kind of those three, and then you have Austin Parks also coming in. Not sure what it'll do first year with Akpari Key, but as time goes on, he's a big guy they could they could play around. What is kind of your thoughts on this freshman class coming in? Um, Scotty Milton might start, maybe Taysen Chapman starts, who knows? But kind of wh- where do you see this these guys fitting in? And obviously they're going to have to contribute. Yeah, I mean, look, like, is there another – I think the, the burning question to me would be, like, is there another – Yes. Please God, no. Right? Is there another Malachi? Is there another Bryce Sensible? Please hope. I hope not. I know I, I know it's tough, but that's, that's reality. <laughs> I think Ohio, every year – I hope Ohio they're Ohio just Ohio. good enough to where they're not a one and done. <laughs> and look, like, yeah, like, I think at the end of the day, if you if you get, like, a Malachi Branham freshman year out of Scotty Milton, you tip your cap and say, all right, good luck, pal. Like, it's – that that's that's the game. But um, I – I, I like Middleton. I saw him play a couple times last summer. I, I didn't see as much of, of Royal and Chapman, so I would say um, I, I don't have as like informed opinions. But I think you know I, I think there's a good chance that Middleton winds up sliding in as a starter on this team, and I think Chapman's ability to score the basketball is valuable, especially if you know we talked about Roddy Gale earlier. I think he's a good player, but I don't know that he's necessarily a guy who's going to have a like a bag, like a scoring bag. That you're going to be able to like really turn to to go create create a shot. So to have a guy off the bench and Chapman who maybe is a little bit more comfortable with the ball in his hands, I think that could that could really benefit this team. Uh, and, and I I would tend to agree that you know Parks is probably blocked at the five between Key and Akpara. But yeah, I think that, that the freshman group is good again. Uh, I think one of the things that Holtman's done a really good job of like teams are his teams are always like really deep. Like yeah. at, you know at number ten is on my depth chart right now is either Devin Royal or Evan Mahaffey. Like Evan Mahaffey played a pen, played on an NCAA tournament team last year. And Devin Royal is like a top 50 recruit. Like I think that says quite a bit about like what they've been able to do in, in recruiting. Justin, I've already seen some people on Twitter calling Taysen Chapman uh, diet justice suing just because he also has an Afro and is like mixed. So I, I think it's only going to take like one game where Taysen Chapman goes like two for seven shooting with like two turnovers to get some diet justice suing replies on Twitter and if that happens you're gonna have to take my phone and throw it in the blender. That's um, why I'm off Twitter that's why I'm off Twitter. Just, just yeah. a heads up. I've been I've been bullied off Twitter, Kevin. So <laughs> respect uh, but Kevin How you got haven't been bullied off Twitter. Kevin, you God bless you, because I see some of the comments well this is into our I'm leading into Connor's next question, but I've seen some of the comments you get and oh man. Whew. I just try to take it in stride and have fun. Like honestly yeah. like it's not that serious. If people want to be like jerks, they can be jerks. Like at some point, like, I don't know, I, I, I still enjoy the app quite a bit. Uh, I enjoy interacting <laughs> with fans. I enjoy interacting with people who think I'm stupid. Uh, half the time, I think I'm stupid. So it works out well. <laughs> yes. I, I, not to cut Connor off because he's going to ask this question eventually, but I did which is one of the interaction you had with whatever the Boston College fan page was last year was just hysterical <laughs> to me. Your your responses were perfect, too. So it was, it was good. But that yeah. was just peak, like, oh, this is Twitter. We're arguing about Boston College basketball? What are you doing? 
I had to I had to stop myself after like the <laughs> second time because I realized like it would start being a bad look and people would start like wondering like what did Boston College do to me? It's like no no, no like these like these four like w- idiots on Twitter decided to like and then like they came back to me at the end and they're like oh yeah by the way like we finished like twelfth instead of fourteenth like you picked us and I was like well yeah you but you finished like fifty spots worse than Ken Palm and oh by the way you also uh you know, you you also still lost to Maine so like I really don't have your Boston of- College <laughs> what are we doing here. That is our th- that is our final our penultimate. We've been building up to this question. What is the most annoying college basketball fan base on Twitter? We saw you go to war with Boston College. We've seen Jeff Goodman just absolutely battle with Kentucky fans for the last three weeks. Who, what fan base do you think is the most annoying on the Bird app? It's it's a hard question because I think I'm in kind of a unique position where. I'm I'm small enough where sometimes I still dodge the like the big leagues. Like somehow Kentucky and Duke fans, no matter what I say about them, like never are like blowing me up. Which I don't know how because like my guys, like the sleepers, like Carter, Carter Elliott, and Greg oh, Waddell, sleepers, man, guys, they've been taking yeah. it on the chin. <laughs> they they they've been getting killed, crushed by Kentucky fans. I'm like I have like double the followers you guys have, and I I I can't get a reaction. Like I'm trying I'm trying, man. I'm trying to give you guys up from pissed. I can't get it up. Um, like, yeah, like. I've been fortunate to keep the Illinois fans in my good graces. Oh man, um, we were me we and Justin, We were just talking about that before you joined the. That we were like, we agreed. We're like Illinois. It's got to be Illinois, right? Illinois going to war with Illinois. Illinois is not the most annoying, but they are like they are very delusional, That's and so they are like I think if I if I were on their bad side, it could be like legitimately like mental health deteriorating. How many? <laughs> They're persistent. They'll they'll just beat you down. They Texas so, Tech, they really so bad. badly want to fight. They so badly want something really? to argue about. Texas Tech was interesting. I, didn't, I haven't heard that one yet. They're oh. they're very delusional. Um, <laughs> they they got like they get really mad whenever you say the the beard stuff was really the like crux yeah. of all this. But then like then then they kind of had to go back with their tail between their legs with Mark Adams after the Mark Adams thing for like a month and now they're back being like bullies to every every person on the internet so it's great but kevin the yeah, problem is you didn't you didn't pick one. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i mean I don't know. he kind of picked texas tech texas Te- texas tech probably had like the biggest kind of mob reaction to something i said once so i'm gonna say texas tech yeah i saw the sleepers got after it with uh kansas fans because they said gritty dick sucked or something and that was they were they were taking that for like a couple of weeks. I was like, man, good lord, these guys are persistent. The sleepers are petty as hell. I love those guys, but they <laughs> they they are not. They have never run from a fight. Yeah, it's funny. It is funny to watch like kind of different fan base. Like like me and Connor said, if if you're in the Big Ten space, it's always Illinois fans. It seems like, but um, I I don't know if Ohio High State fans might. They went after Goodman when Goodman uh. Goodman defended Holtman. Yeah, they they, and, actually came uh, after they went me after Goodman. I like I defended Holtman, and they they, they came after me, and then I kind of looked bad. Which is hilarious because like, you're defending their team, but you know, I don't know. It's bizarre. Like mo- most fan bases go after you when you are critical of their team. Ohio State goes after you when you say no, you actually have the right coach. They're like, no, we don't. So trust yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, trust us. We we know ball. Justin, you got any closing remarks for Kevin before we got here? I, th- I think we've I think we've held up him his time just enough. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to follow Kevin, I believe it is at CBB underscore central on Twitter. Is that correct? That is correct. And then do you have any um, 
any any stories you're working on any pieces you're putting together in the next week or two that you want to tease that people can go on SI and read in the next few weeks um not not really I mean I have plenty of stuff in the works um but I'm off to Peach Jam next week uh and then Summer League after that so I'm sure there'll be some good stuff coming out of that and you can check that out over at SI.com And thanks again to Kevin for jumping on with us. I'm sure we'll probably have him on when we get closer to the season or at the very latest, we'll have him on again next year um, in the preseason. If you want to follow Kevin on Twitter, again, it's at CBB underscore central. But that will be it for us today. Make sure that you subscribe on Spotify so that you get updated um, when we put new episodes out. And um, just upcoming, you know, TBT's upcoming with Carmen's crew. We'll have some TBT stuff uh coming out whether it's articles or a podcast or maybe even an interview or two coming up so just make sure you look out for that tbt is always a super fun tournament but i think everybody would agree it wasn't or at least everybody listens to this would agree that it wasn't quite the same last year without carmen's crew so to have them back you know william buford is the only one that's kind of played in it before for carmen's crew but a lot of familiar faces will be a lot of fun and you can follow us on twitter at bucketheads lgpn land grant podcast network if you want to follow me i'm uh, at lemons underscore connor l-e-m-o-n-s underscore connor c-o-n-n-o-r um, you can also follow justin if you want justin it seems stays off his account now for mental health reasons he'd rather i fully focused I, I fully focused on the bucketheads account you know growing that you know if you only have 600 tweets a day, you don't want to use up all your rations on your personal account. Exactly. Thanks for sticking with us, everybody. Have a great weekend. We'll see you in two weeks for episode 80. Go Bucks. I got a place. I got a place.